0: And welcome to the AEW Dynamite review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by the Dally Boys of What Culture. Michael Hanfler and Michael Sidgwick here to look back on everything that happened on last night's episode of AEW Dynamite. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts where we not only review AEW Dynamite but also AEW Rampage, Raw, SmackDown, NXT. Oh! oh! Pay per views, premium live events. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a round of the Complete with a bigger quiz, of course, on wrestle culture. As I said, joined by Hamlin and Sidgwick to review AEW Dynamite Rude Reju. Uh, Sid, I already know your thoughts because I've read the brilliant Ups and Downs article that you've just written at whatculture.com. But for those who haven't checked that out yet, what did you make of last night's excellent show? I thought it was,
1: <laughs> I thought it was absolutely excellent. Um, I tend now to base my opinion of an episode of AEW Dynamite on how many. Parody AEW things happen on this show that really, one, annoy me, and two, made me concerned about the overall quality of the show going forward. And there was only one thing that I would categorize as, you know how they call it, LOL WCW Mm. and LOL TNA. There's becoming a bit of a LOL AEW in, oh God, this thing or this type of thing that they insist upon doing despite everyone else saying, oh, it's a bit rubbish, Don't do this, lads. There was only one moment where I was like, I would have booked that much better than they did. Mm -hmm. Virtually everything else on this show was great, with the exception of one failure, but it was such a noble failure that I can't really begrudge it too much. Um, But yeah, generally an excellent TV program.
0: I have this thing now I've realized when I watch mainly AEW Dynamite Hamlet, where I've got one eye on the action and one eye on the timer at the bottom right-hand corner because I'm like... I know they can do all this great stuff, but the, the you know the, the show starts and I'm already going right. They have got this, this, and this, and and in previous weeks I've been like, oh my god, they've got 20 minutes left, and I know they've said they're going to do this, this, and this, and they're not just going to drop it out of nowhere. I had this sort of the reverse of that on this show, where we got to either like Dax versus Will Osprey or Britt Baker versus Tony Storm, and I like thought, well, the main event is obviously as you predicted, Sage the uh, the ladder match with the young books, and I thought, well, that's fine, <laughs> and we've got plenty of time left, and I was like, is everything, I think everything's going to be alright, so I just really enjoyed that after that moment, because of the, of the panic had disappeared, and I just, yeah, I just had a whale of a time with this show.
2: Yeah, like, uh, that's like a really salient observation in light of the, some of the specific criticisms we've leveled at the mm. show over the past few weeks as well, because good formatting on this Dynamite was so key to making it an enjoyable episode, I thought this was imperfect, but really good, mm-hmm. and I would so much rather take imperfect good over like chaotic bad, which has felt like what some of the dynamites have been, even when you know, it, because AEW is at its core the best wrestling promotion in the world, right? Even when bad things are happening and there's been one too many bad things for my taste and our taste lately, mm. but it's it's the best at this currently. Um It's what, what it's been overwhelmed by is the need to do too much stuff, the need to pack too much in, and that like it makes you kind of double down on your feelings that just things aren't right. Because if already you've got things, if you're criticizing something and then that thing is then brushed aside for something else that you then criticize, you're just left with this, like this stacking up of negative emotions mm-hmm. towards a show, like off the back of it. Less on rampage, but certainly with Dynamite it's been happening. And this gave you neither of either because it was, not only was it formatted in a way that you d- you weren't like out of breath with the big developments, but when the majority of the developments are good, you're then in a far more positive mood when something comes. And again, most of these are subjective. When something comes your way that isn't necessarily to your taste, or as Cedric put it, in a way where you thought, "I think I could have done that better," you're not in anywhere near as bad a mood with it yeah. because something good has come before it. You've got optimism about the things still to come, and that's that's way closer to like the AW utopia mm. that we're all striving for than this perfect, like, immaculately, impeccably booked wrestling show. Yeah. And that's why, I, like, I wouldn't put this as, like, an all-timer dynamite, far from it, but this is the version of the product that you'd want to see on a weekly basis.
0: Yeah, this is this is what I was thinking about this morning when it was like, you know, people have said to us, oh, you know, I can't really listen to your stuff at the moment because I've been watching these dynamites and I've been thinking they've been 9 out of 10 and you guys have been so negative with it. Well, I just think we have, we're like a, a father with very high standards <laughs> for his son, for example. So the moment that he goes... Proud of your son. That means more than just like you tied your own shoelaces, I'm <laughs> yeah. proud of your son. Like I realise in comparison to over there, then a lot of the time we could say this was just an excellent wrestling show. Yeah. But on, I think I prefer. Those comparisons are dead, aren't they?
2: Aren't those comparisons pretty much dead? Yes. Like, but I know.
0: prefer personally that we, you know, we are, are quite, you know, uh, strict when it comes to praise for for this. Because when shows like this come around, which still had its faults, we'll get into that. When shows like this come around, it feels like oh, because otherwise I don't. I, I for me personally, if I came in and did the whole is "this is the best dynamite ever" on every week, I've got nowhere to go above that when stuff like this comes along.
1: Yeah, no, I absolutely I agree. It was just re- very reassuring. There were just certain elements of this um, show where, like, the details company like resurfaced. There was like two things in particular where I was like, "Oh my god, that is exactly why I watch this." promotion specifically for these two kinds of really intelligent moments yeah. um, but we'll get into both of those later. Yeah
0: let's dive straight into it the uh, show open with the hair versus hair match Ortiz uh, versus Chris Jericho no messing about uh, there's a barber's chair at, not a ringside but just like in the the, uh, the walkway and what have you with the spotlight on it that came into play a little bit later on uh, Ortiz goes straight after Jericho no messing about Uh, But uh, Jericho fights back, goes for a lion salt. Ortiz gets gets his knees up and then beats him up on the outside. Uh, Puts Jericho in the barber's chair, as I mentioned. Ten punches to the head. Sends him back into the ring. Dominates him, but Jericho rakes his eyes uh, to take control. I think as we go to a break, when we come back, um, Ortiz... Goes for a big tope, but that's countered by a forearm from Jericho. Suplexes him from the apron to the floor. In fact, that was when we got the break. When we come back, Ortiz makes his comeback. Uh, loads of strikes, hits a hanging cutter for a two-count. A DDT gets two more. Uh, Jericho gets out of the way of the corkscrew splash, hits a code breaker for a near fall. Then Ortiz, I can't believe that they made me bite on like a backslide <laughs> in this match. He got a two count from that. Uh, Jericho reversed Horikarana into the walls. Ortiz scratched and clawed and got his mate way down to the ropes. Uh, cool hand Ange tries to get involved, and uh, that's when Kingston runs in and attacks the Jericho Appreciation Society. Uh, Santana and Wheeler, you come down and Jr says what. the who you been? Uh, <laughs> big, big fight, of course. In the midst of all this, the referees just can't keep keep their eyes on everything going on. Uh, in comes Eddie Kingston with a spinning back fist to put down Chris Jericho. But Ortiz just takes a slight second too long to go for the cover, and Jericho kicks out at 2.999. Great near for all that. Hager tries to get involved, but it's, it's taken out of it. The referee's just trying to, trying to control what's going on on the outside. And then, all of a sudden, a pretty jacked, Fuego Del Sol, of all people, gets involved, runs out, hits uh, Ortiz with Floyd the Bat, Jericho gets the one, two, three. Jericho wins. Ortiz has to cut his hair off or have his hair cut off, but it turns out he would cut his own hair off later on. Yeah, he got scissors and told the barber, who was, I wouldn't have trusted him, looked weird. Um, <laughs> got, the, got the scissors and just hacked bits off of his hair, and then the clippers were there with Eddie Kingston. He was shaving bits off whilst yelling blood and guts. So I thought, that's not all bad news. Two weeks' time, he probably still going to get his hands on him. Uh, and in the midst of all this, I should point out, It wasn't Fuego del Sol. It was that little knobhead, Sammy Guevara, who unmasked. Uh, What a twist!
1: This was absolutely phenomenal episodic TV wrestling. Just unbelievably great stuff. This crowd was one of the hottest AEW Dynamite crowds for a single match that I can ever recall. Saint Louis, Saint Louis, Saint Louis. 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 I never know. I never remember. Like a rich wrestling city. Um, but not one of the more fashionable Northeastern ones, Um, but still always guaranteed to be a hot crowd or a receptive crowd if Mm -hmm. the action's hot enough, and they were just desperate to see Jericho get his hair chopped off. And they (laughs) believed in the actual prospect of it happening because, as we discussed on the preview yesterday, he is fighting a losing battle, so you maybe thought it was as much as i put it in ups and downs, which I'm sorry, I'm just going to (laughs) regurgitate a lot of it. You're going to have more than one take. Um, (laughs) Like this was as much Chris Jericho versus Ortiz as it was Chris Jericho versus his own sense of self-awareness. <laughs> like, has is is he decided finally it's time? And this informed every single near fall. The one with the um, urakan was like, oh, my God, I'm going to see Ball Chris Jericho mm-hmm. in this, yes. this set of fans. She was white hot on the prospect. And the idea that Chris Jericho was, like, the most arrogant and sort of – like, defensive wrestler maybe ever, and think of the ground that covers, just was so... It just made the prospect of him potentially getting his head shaved bald, electrifying this fan base, was absolutely desperate to see it. And Chris Jericho earned how arrogant he is with the way he structured this match alongside Ortiz, because not only did they not dick around, not only did they not do any kind of boring, like, long control heat sequence, because that's just how... Matches in North America go, they just worked it so urgently, so frantically. There was no fat in it whatsoever. Mm. This fan base was never once allowed to just go. I'm watching a wrestling match. They were constantly, 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 thrillingly being told someone's gonna get their head shaved, someone's gonna get their head shaved. And this tone, this feeling was elicited. Um, through the vehicle of genuinely great in-ring action mm-hmm. where Chris Jericho looked 20 years younger than he did last year. And even that was never to the detriment of the tone where it's like, these two guys hate each other. They're embroiled in this stable wall, this blood feud. And they never thought, let's just work a really nice wrestling match with loads of near falls. It never really felt like that mm-hmm. either. It still felt like a fight, like two people, two characters hate one another. Um, and again, the oh my God, moment one of two was this entire time you've been kind of wondering why Sammy Guevara, right? They did acknowledge his role in the split. He basically said, I'm sick of all the drama it, and let's not forget he was at the heart of most of it with MGF at the turn of last year. So he more than most is like, I'm so sick of this. I've been at the heart of it. I've been trying to leave the inner circle before. And then I came back because duty called, but I'm absolutely sick of it now. I'm, I'm having no part of this. I've got my own title to defend and, so that was kind of a write-out, but it still was like, well, yes, but at the same time, you should be linked to them a little bit more as this unfolds, and God damn it, he is with this wonderful twist, and I didn't see it coming. No. And one of the reasons why I didn't is because the logical part of my brain had been parked because I was so into the action, and they earned me being so into the action because this was as a segment end-to-end of television, kind of a masterpiece, we see so many schmozzers, we see so many beat downs. As I wrote again in the article, it almost feels like I'm not watching people get beat up here. I'm just watching people fight and flail and in a blurry limbs scenario because that's how they build matches. Everything was sort of structured so elegantly here that it made um way for Eddie Kingston to drive that incredible near fall, the post match, the twist. Oh my god, this oh my god. <laughs> this was just incredibly and I've missed saying this. Mm. So much of oh. late. This was incredibly deft.
0: <laughs> yeah, speaking of what you mentioned there about the, the lead-in for this, my wife, who doesn't watch AW that regularly, but is kept in the loop of it by me, I said to her last night, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> uh, babe, this, this dynamite absolutely stacked. Like, Wardlow um, is fighting 20 people. There's a bloody mad ladder match for the tag titles. And I was like, and there's a someone's going to get their head shaved. It's Ortiz who used to be part of the inner circle with Chris Joe and blah, blah, blah. proud and powerful. And Chris Jericho, <laughs> and she, first thing she said was, oh, is he getting a hair transplant? <laughs> like, so
2: he's yeah. talking about people yeah. buying in.
0: Hamflet, your thoughts on all this?
2: I don't have much to add, uh, like, about the match because I completely echo Sidgwick's thoughts. Like, the crowd was so v- important to it. The fact that they didn't rely on playbook stuff on, right, we'll lock up first. We'll, like, we'll, we'll let him come with a headlock. Why? you have been, like, killing each other for a month. Why would you let them come? And the only other thing I wanted to add was, like, it's, it it doesn't go underreported because everybody watched Anakin in, like in the arena and loved it right but i think i said this at the time and i thought this here too it is so incredibly difficult to manufacture chaos that feels real and it's so incredibly difficult in fact that i think in the run up to the anakin arena people didn't really feel it like there was criticisms about it, has it lent too comedically the invisible, Wallie. Yeah, like they were using like WB tropes a little mm-hmm. bit too much. The Jericho appreciation Society you were good, but everybody like was thinking, "Why is this not great? This is good, but it's not great. Why?" And then Anarchy in the Arena brings it all to life, and everybody is just uh, deservedly so, like in love with it. A fabulous, fabulous piece of work that has since informed everything else. And it feels this blood and guts feels more earned than the first one. Yeah, because yet again, after Anarchy in the Arena, yet again, AEW of like conspired to create a scenario where these men have to be boxed into a cage. It has got to end in a confined space because they they need to be controlled. Otherwise, this threatens to take over and spiral and ruin everything. You know, 10 plus careers could be ended Mm -hmm. by one of these brawls. You know, people are losing their hair now. People are turning heel to join in the battle. It's just, it's like cliche, it's gone too far. And it's so hard to manufacture Those, like, almost like 80s cinematic. This is going too far. Like, I'm too old for this. Like, that sort of stuff. And they've done it. They've absolutely done it with this Blood and Guts. Like, it's making you think, well, is Blood and Guts going to be like six on six now? Because Sammy's in. Mm. Is Sammy going to replace a lug like Hager and do cool Sammy stuff like he did in the first one? Because that'd be class. Like, this match has potentially got better than it already was, assuming that Sammy Guevara gets into it. So, however you decide to shape it and however the teams are lining up, these are proper, proper warring factions. The I would say the like there'll be other examples, but the masterpiece example for me personally would be Canadian Stampede, like the Hearts versus Austin's team. And the fever pitch is like benefits so much from being in Canada, but every single row was the same. There was one week where Austin was running around with like the wooden end of an axe, (laughs) like that doesn't look like wrestling violence, that just looks like he's gonna find them and kill them. And it's really, really hard to fake it. Wrestling's not real. And I just think they've done such an amazing job mm. over the past two or three weeks of making this feel like it requires a double cage. This has to end. People have got to bleed. And like if it is Jericho, whoever's got to lose again... Should not appear on the back of a wagon squirting champagne afterwards. <laughs> End of the world stuff. Yeah. And they've, they've done an amazing job of like creating that again.
0: Yeah, I think my concern, t- to mention Anakin in the arena, was the, the, the age-old complaint that we hear often on other podcasts, let's say, and, and on social media of like, oh, it's, you can't really have blood and guts following Anakin in the arena because that's like following a shooting with a stabbing. Not now. Now yeah. I cannot wait for two weeks. I'm almost like, yeah, let's get Forbidden Door out of the way <laughs> with some of the best wrestlers on the planet, so we can get to this blood feud. Now I'm so excited, and yeah, the addition of Sammy Guevara is just mwah, chef's kiss. I think it was oh just my
2: God. so good. Him, um, and, him and Ty Conley, are, are sports entertainers, that gimmick, it, like even like referring to Russo Sausage, like, and they're, they they belong in that yes. group. It's a, they're a perfect fit.
0: Have Jericho be the. Uh, a priest or whatever it is to marry them on flipping dynamite. The sex gods are back. Yeah, yeah mentioned he dropped the sex gods reference later. I think didn't he? Uh, right, I got mixed emotions about what came next. I'd love to know what you two you two make of it. So we had a brilliant video package. I've been told online it references. The People's Court. I just knew it was something vaguely American court system that I'd seen probably in passing somewhere. And then it was time for the plaintiffs versus Wardlow. 20-on-1 handicap match. Um, they apparently can be eliminated by is it being sent over the top rope or just being knocked. I, I wasn't sure of the exact rules. Maybe that was part of the reason why I was a bit like, with all this. So they all jump up on the apron, and Wardlow knocks four off the off the edge, and I think that eliminates them. I'm not exactly sure. He powerbombs just everyone. I, I'm not really going to go through this shot for shot because it was just, you run at me, powerbomb. You run at me, powerbomb. It was just a, 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 a non-stop uh stampede of, of powerbombs. Uh, symphony wasn't quite the term I would use. He submits two and, and pins two. all just like, I don't want any more of this. So some of them just tap out that they've had enough of just being chucked around, basically. Power bombs three of them, stacks them all up, that eliminates them, does it it with four, does it with five. Uh, I think there's one guy left who comes off the top. Wardlow catches him and power bombs him, and that's that. Uh, Should we do everything at once? Oh, let's do everything at once, and then I can talk about it. Because what came afterwards, I really quite liked. So after the match, it's killed these 20 security guards. And he's got Mark Sterling in a brilliantly absurd outfit there, yelling at him at ringside. And he chucks him into the ring, and it looks like he's going to finally get his hands on this little squirt and just, well, do worse than what he's already done to him. When over the uh, mic comes uh, Dan Lambert, who's uh, there with TNT champion Scorpio Sky. They're in that skybox of theirs, and Lambert says, well, you know, American top team, if you mess with one member of my crew, the rest of my team messes with you. Maybe you should look over your shoulder. And they show, and this was probably more for, for myself than, than you two, two absolute legends, former champions of the UFC, in Matt Hughes and Tyron Woodley, who were there at ringside. And I thought, because I've known and watched what they've done, oh, yeah, they could sort Wardlow out. No bother. I know Matt Hughes is not the guy he was though, when we saw him many, many years ago. But anyway, jump the uh, jump the, uh gar rail. They get into the ring. And Wardlow gets on his mic and says, uh, you're from... Round, I'm just gonna say round here because I'm worried about offending people from the city that they're in because I can't. Midwest, it. you're from round here uh, as hard work as a fellow hardworking Midwesterner. Uh, I think you're smarter than to take orders from some. Not talking to you, love. Um, so you can take <laughs> orders from some rich asshole in a skybox. Look, we can fight if you want, but I think we're cut from the same cloth. And uh, they both look at each other and go, "Yeah, I don't really want to be on the side with uh, with Dan Lambert and this." Bell End stood next to us, so uh, they push uh, Mark Sterling eventually to Wardlow, who power bombs him to close the segment. Really like that. I don't know what I it was. I don't know what I was an- anticipating, but the twenty on ones didn't really live up to my expectations.
2: So I, I have a theory on this because you kind of I'm, you're getting a similar opinion. It's not the big dynamite talking point. He's in a bunch of guys, and it's still not the big dynamite visual. It's in that. It, it, it's kind of like it's only resonated at that kind of like mid level. I think the execution of just about all of this was as good as the execution of this idea could have been. Mm. I I don't think there was a... There wasn't, like, a better version of this specific thing they've decided to do. Nor, in the preview, did I particularly argue against doing any of this sort of thing. The UFC guys thing was, was like, an unexpected add-on, but fine. You get, like, a, a cheap but huge bap within the building off the back of it. I think what everybody is feeling is more to do with... Uh, this is not the follow-up that you would have wanted for Wardlow. It's nothing to do with what you're watching, which is fine. It's just that fine isn't quite enough of a follow-up off the back of the MGF thing. It's the pressure, and AEW sometimes makes this look incredibly easy. MJF goes from one of the great modern wrestling views of CM Punk to the hottest thing every week with Wardlow, right? Um, off the back of a pretty of an awesome Darby Allin match as well. So they've shown, with great talent and with great writing and great creativity, that... Characters can leave this awesome, era-defining thing and move on to something that is almost as good. or certainly feels as worthy, right? The Wardlow thing felt absolutely as worthy as the CM Punk thing, which is lofty, lofty standards. Yeah. Hangman Page struggled to follow the Kenny Omega thing, so the trick was to keep it. The Bryan feud was at least lofty, you know, so it's like, wow, he's won the belt and now he's fighting to keep it. The, I think it's the drop-off. I think the MGF feud to this is a bigger drop-off than even AEW would have accounted for because watching him beat up loads of guys beforehand was really entertaining but that was so much wrapped within the context of the MJF feud, and it's just like everybody's got a slight uneasy feeling that, like, it's quite difficult to articulate about Wardlow not immediately being as hot as he was. The simplest way to do that would have probably have been having, like, beat Scorpio Sky the very next Dynamite after beating MJF. I'm here, I'm not pissing about, and I want that belt, and then, like, Scorpio Sky shows hubris and gives him a shot or something and Wardler is immediately like, night one has been a member of staff here in AEW and I've saved this belt that you all wanted me to save and we're off to the races, that sort of thing. I see why they've done it this way, mm-hmm. but I just feel like the drop-off has been maybe steeper than any of us would have realised when you see this in execution. I have to disagree slightly. Not on the content of the segment,
1: because I thought it was rubbish. Like, genuinely, I was really yeah. sad by how hmm. rubbish this was. Um, I think this is a really neat diversion... Dive um, to tie up the loose end from the Wardlow feud. I've really thought about the continuity here. Um, it's just a nice diversion, nice nod to continuity, a ridiculously dumb fun blockbuster spectacle in theory, and then do the Scorpio Sky. So I've got no problems with it existing. I've just got problems with the execution. Like, this was just... To further um, Hamlet's point about the incredible chaos, now it's so difficult to contrive... This is an example of it being so difficult Mm. to contrive because I tried to go over this chaotic thing and it was just so messy and convoluted and confusing And because it's 20 geeks. There's no escalation. So once he's gone through a pack of four geeks, then the next four geeks, everyone's just like, oh, he's just got more geeks to go through and this is all very redundant and repetitive and the fact that it was quite awkward to begin with, like the rules not being clarified was I had the same opinion as you. I was like, oh, so can they go through the rules? Is this a battle royale Mm. except it's, but it can't be pins either because he was stacking them and people's shoulders were to the mat mm. yeah, I was just like this is really confusing this is really repetitive and adding to the general confusion and awkwardness and repetitiveness of the vibe was the fact that some of these guys were literally so green that they couldn't actually take power bombs correctly <laughs> so you're more you weren't basking in the brilliant destructive force that is Wardlow. You were worried about these jobbers' <laughs> elbows because they didn't know how to like plant properly. It was just not good whatsoever. There was no way to escalate
2: it. Um, Unlike the, when sort of like we had the big ninja at the end of all the other. Yeah, ninjas. exactly. You've got yeah, to build yeah. to the big ninja. Yeah. The <laughs> so there was no. Because <laughs> at least when it was doing with the MGF,
1: it was like if he gets through yes. all of these guys, he might get to MGF. This time it was, when he gets through all of these guys, he he wins a pretty rubbish match, the (laughs) execution of which. It's one of those things where I'd say, if it was one by one by one, and then there was a way to book this, I think, but I'm happy that this noble failure happened because I love these ridiculous experiments. Like what a visual gag it was. We'll never remember it fondly, but I like the idea, just the execution was generally piss poor. But, I'll give them credit; they probably realized this. This could go wrong, and it could just be flat, and it could just be too weird or confusing to get into. So I really liked the post match segment because they gave themselves an out, and ultimately it ended on a high. Hmm. So yeah. I really enjoy these stupid experiments. <laughs> Sometimes they don't work, like the Ward hager Cage match. I think I quite liked it at the time. I but liked it.
2: Yeah, I the liked MMA it.
1: Exhibition thing. It wasn't a big unqualified, unanimous success yeah. that everyone loved. Like, But I like the idea that they do these things. It's just creativity is
2: good, even if it doesn't manifest very well. I do feel like the heat needs turning back up on Wardlow. Like, I still maintain, I think that, like, the, the his aura has diminished somewhat in, qu- in quite... In, like, too quick a time off the back of such a high-level yeah. program. <laughs> I like, I, I, I think him winning that belt will... So, like, immediately sold it Slam as well. style. Yeah, I, I just, I just batter him. I, it's again, this is extremely subjective. I, it's like something I'm feeling through the reactions in the buildings that he's not quite where he was. That's a, but re, a really hard task of a Booker to maintain that. And the TNT title is probably the answer. Mm. I don't disagree, but I just think that this isn't bad booking. It was just execution of a. We like
1: look at how buzzing we were on the preview about yeah. this yesterday. Like, it was a great idea. It was just the execution mm. was poor. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today.
0: Uh, we needed a pick-me-up and we got it next because it was time for Dax Harwood versus Will Ospreay. Um This was uh, the the antithesis of of what I was just talking about in terms of I don't really know what I anticipated for this, but my God, did it exceed it. Um, Dueling chance for both wrestlers to start us off. They wrestle around. Osprey takes Dax down with a Rana, and Dax goes, okay, just hits him with some... Brutal-looking chops. Back body drops Osprey That gets a two-count. They're fighting on the apron. Dax tries to suplex Osprey to the floor, but Osprey pulls Dax down, sends him into the steps with a shotgun dropkick to take us to commercial. When we come back, Dax, German suplex, German suplex, German suplex, and then a preposterous release German suplex and a mad bump from Will Ospreay. Uh, he rolls out of the way of a diving head, but he hits a four, springboard 450 uh, for a two-count. Goes up top. Dax cuts him off there, goes to the avalanche back suplex, but Osprey counters in, in mid-air uh, into a crossbody for two. Then Dax cradles Osprey for a two as well. Osprey hits a jackknife powerbomb, but Dax fights back with another roll-up for a near fall. Ospreay hits that diving forearm to the back of Dax's head for a near fall as well. Calls for the ox, ox, who? Ozcutter, uh, but Dax fights back uh, and hits that uh, well, goes to that rebound power bomb, and then Osprey fights out of it, and then uh, Dax fights out of the Oscar again to hit that power bomb, uh, to, uh, and a two count. Then they just stood there, sitting on the floor, sat there, sitting on the floor, sort of headbutting each other <laughs> from like an inch way. They trade forearms. Dax seems to get the better of it. Better of it. He levels Osprey with a laria. Then Ospreay hits back, hits back with a liger bomb for a near fall. And suddenly he hits the oz cutter and then decides that's not enough after that gets a near fall and hits him with a brutal-looking hidden blade for the one, 2 three. Uh, post-match outcome, the rest of the United Empire, Aussie Open, Great O'Khan, Jeff Cobb, they attack Dax, Cash Wheeler and Rapongi Vice come out to, to help them. And then the return of Orange Cassidy. Uh, he's been away for like, four months, I think it is. He comes down to the ring. Will Ospreay's face is an absolute picture. They face off, and subsequently, Sidge, we find out that they're going to be facing each other, as you called, at Forbidden Door. Um, I, I sense that this was uh, the highlight of the night for you.
1: Yeah. Actually, I, I don't know if I preferred the main event, but we'll get to that. This is like, they're both absolutely incredible TV matches. This was so goddamn awesome. It felt real. I love it when wrestling feels real. Like, it felt like two guys with. Very differing philosophies. Yes. You can readily imagine that they do not get on in real life, <laughs> nor would they like each other if they continue to spend time in one another's company. Very divergent wrestling philosophies, and they collided thrillingly in this absolutely unbelievable pro wrestling match that had this wonderful tone of and I need to beat you. I don't really I really don't want to lose to you. I really do <laughs> yes. not want to lose to you. No, I want to win. I
0: just don't want to lose. Yeah, I just
1: don't want to lose to you, you cock. It was getting nasty <laughs> at the end with the headbutts. Um like, it really felt like they're not just doing a trope here. They're not doing the thing where it's like, we're evenly matched and I get over and defeat. It just really felt like a proper scrap. And they weren't doing, like, rings. They weren't doing, like, UWFI stuff. But, like, wrestling, if you get the tone of it right, mm. it doesn't matter how spectacular the moves are. Deep down, you kind of know that they are working, obviously, and cooperating and, like, sort of, like, posting themselves. And, you know, like it just doesn't matter because when you engineer a tone like this... And when he hit as hard as they did here, when he takes stupid bumps like that <laughs> idiot Will Ospreay <laughs> did here, it just is absolutely magnificent. Just love the idea of Will Ospreay, who's got a wrestling brain in his head, as opposed to not a single fing one in any other area of his <laughs> life, like drawing Howard by the apron, knowing that he's more of a state of the art modern, I can do things here on aprons guy, like kind of lulling. Harwood onto the top rope going, I know how to defend aerial attacks and it's not really the thing that you're best at. Mm. And then Harwood just responded by going, right, I'm just going to headbutt you in the head (laughs) and a four on me in the jaw, proper smash mouth. Um, This is an absolutely wonderful television wrestling match. And uh, regrettably, we'll all spray rules. Did you see him on Twitter yesterday? Let's not get into it, but I was
2: desperate for Dax Harwood to win this. I didn't know, but then it's, it's like the reason I like I didn't see what he said on Twitter, but nor do I watch many of his matches because I don't have to for work and therefore don't feel the need to. So when you're dragged into watching one and you are indeed dragged into the story, as I was here, I was like, oh yeah, this is probably why I avoid them. In New Japan when I don't have to watch them because I don't want to be particularly if I don't like him as a person, I don't want to be pulled in. But the work was phenomenal, from Hangman Page to Brian Danielson to CM Punk and the Young Bucks and John Moxley and now, and previously, Dax Harwood. Like, AW, is a wrestler of the year factory. Mm. Like, these matches happen with such regularity that, um, you know, the four-star... Four-star used to mean more before the scale was broken. It did. But you're almost guaranteed a four-star every week with certain combinations of wrestlers, and as long as the angle's decent enough or the build is, you know, it's, it's not some sort of clown show nonsense that they've been a little bit guilty of lately. You're getting these four-star plus matches, and... Yeah, Dax has already been in the conversation and has just put himself right back in there. He rest- oh, Murray's little chart. that keeps he well, changing like, every week. He's got like that, he's, he applies like a mathematical formula to it. So like you can... Like, like The league table changes based on like how he rates his matches.
0: I'm just really jealous he's having a lovely time on holiday. And uh,
2: it's, yeah, it's just fabulous to watch how it happens. So Dax Harwood at this point has worked quite diligently on letting us all know just who he is as a person, and that then naturally informs his work. The criticisms of FTR, of which I was probably a proponent of for a while, was that they're talking a really good game about their style and about what it is they want to do for tag team wrestling. But if anything, they're kind of part of the problem because they're cosplayers more than they are wrestlers. That has been addressed so spectacularly, and I would, like, to be fair to them, probably about the last 12 months rather than just the last six. It's not just a 2022 thing. But they have so fantastically addressed the difference between kind of like, this sounds like I'm being a hypocrite because they pay loads of tribute to Bret Hart, from being wrestlers that pay tribute to a style of wrestling, from being wrestlers that own that style and become it themselves. And there's loads of that from Dax. There was such, I know like Sidgwick, you've always had it with Cash, but like personality, in-ring personality Mm -hmm. bristles like when they wrestle now out with a pair of them. And it's just so fantastic to watch like a tag team in an era where like for so long Vince McMahon put his thumb on it. Like as much as the Young Bucks have done it, they are wrestling as if they want tag team wrestling and themselves to be in the main event because you feel emotionally so much for their work. It's a shame that they have to do it in singles matches. There's still that stigma against tag wrestling. It's like a comedy film struggling to win an Oscar. Do you know what I mean? There's like it's a certain genre that just doesn't feel like it belongs in the mm. top line, and that's the battle that the likes of the Young Bucks and FDR have to have to try and get tag team wrestling to feel like main event wrestling. Because Dax having this kind of match with Osprey is a kind of it's like like this could be a match of the year candidate. Like. FTR has a like FTR have a great main event against I don't know let's say Osprey and Jeff Cobb that's got all exchanges just as good as this and you're like it's not quite as good as the Dax Osprey much there's still this like singles bias against it but yeah they're wrestling Dax and Cash and Dax here especially with just a personality that I don't think I've ever seen them like even at their NXT peak it still felt like a little bit of like oh those those KG FTR I'm just buying it as real now mm. I'm just buying this as so real like Dax even like the miserable bastard persona on Twitter. You know he's like a little (laughs) bit of a persona. I I don't think he's doing that. He's not showing that anymore in the ring. I don't think, I don't feel like he's faking it. And I'm struggling to articulate what the difference is, but the difference is there. And it feels like when you're watching somebody ascend to like a main event level. I I think they're trying. I think FTR want their next, uh, like the next Young Bucks match. So it's ones each now, is it? in Yes. Like I think they want a pay-per-view main event out of that third one. And the Bucks can make it happen and are kind of main eventers anyway in AEW. I think they'll all be chasing that as the rubber match like we are the headline act of a pay-per-view and deserve it as well mm.
0: your thoughts on the returns of uh, return of orange cassidy
2: knew it was happening so it's it's like, like <laughs> Sidges fantasy booking was dead on because like arguably the best ever exhibition of what orange cassidy is and does was the pack match so you've got a wrestler just like pack who is a heel so can be in, and just a bigger move with orange cassidy as pack was to follow that sort of formula and I really needed a break from Orange Cassidy. So I'm so glad I got that because I was pleased I to I agree, him yeah. I was the same needed as you. a break from Orange Cassidy since 2020. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was kind of over it, to be honest. It was the Jericho program that like, was the opposite of doing like helping him out for me. And ever since then, I've been like, oh, God, this guy again. Like, if I was tagging him in with the best friends bunch, who I also think are a bunch of loser dweebs. And, like, he came back and felt like a, such a bigger star than the rest of them. Yeah. And that's why he belongs in the Osprey singles match. Watching Cassidy
1: level up to Osprey at Forbidden Door is going to be a seminal moment. Yeah. Because he's like he's still so good at like... The Chicago crowd are going to be so there for as yeah, as well. I mean, right he's and still so good at obscuring what he can and can't do. So for him to do something unbelievable in this match, that makes you feel in the moment like he's comparable to Osprey's is going to be
0: electric. And just the simple stuff, because I saw someone sharing a clip of, of Cassidy Pack on Twitter, I think it was a while back, of just, you know, we know what Osprey can do when he goes up high, <laughs> sets it up, and then... Cassidy just slowly rolls and just keeps going yeah. and rolls the <laughs> other side of the ring and what have you. The pack was, was sort of sensational with that. And, uh,
2: Could Cassidy do a hidden blade but with his hands in his pocket so he just flings his entire body <laughs> yeah. like a,
0: like somebody swinging a big fish? I just feel like, you know, a bit like, uh, yeah, Okada Omega, I think it was, on one of them. Like, he's going to set him up for the hidden blade. He's going to go for it. But Orange castle is going to have a lie down. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, very excited for that. We'll talk about that um, later on. But uh, speaking of Forbidden Door, it's time for a video package first before the face-to-face between Moxley and Tanahashi. Uh, Moxley talks about the fact this is three years in the making. says he's the best wrestler on planet Earth. He is the Forbidden Door. Uh, and then we get Tanahashi and Moxley come out the uh, entrances and what have you. And Moxley says he's been chasing Tanahashi for a long time. Now he's here. He said uh, from day one in New Japan, it's always been about Tanahashi uh there's only one man they'll call ace and that's you he said but not for long he said that he himself is the best wrestler on the planet uh, and there's more online at the forbidden door uh, than just the aw championship when the dust settles up forbidden door he said you are going to call me ace in the midst of all this chris jericho's music plays and he comes out flanked by sammy Guevara and tay conti he said uh he should be in this match and uh threatened to burn moxley's face because he's a wizard um And he said, I've already beaten Tanahashi at Wrestle Kingdom." Uh, And Tanahashi told him to shut up at that (laughs) point. Uh, And he said, ooh, shut up? Ooh, you shouldn't have said that. Get him, boys. (laughs) Out come the rest of Jericho Appreciation Society to attack. Um, In the midst of all that, El Desperado and uh, Lance Archer of Suzuki Gun come out and attack as well. Jericho gets in the ring as this carnage is just going on behind him uh, and introduces Guevara and Conti as the newest members of the Jericho Appreciation Society and revealed that uh, the Gun members are on loan from Minoru Suzuki, who's going to team with Jericho at Forbidden Door. Uh, they're going to team with Jericho at Forbidden Door alongside Guevara against Shooter, Wheeler Utah, and Eddie Kingston. Uh, and uh, Kingston, Uta, Santana, and Ortiz run out and clear the ring, and, and uh, Tanahashi hit Desperado with a sling blade, and then him and Moxley face off. A lot going on here, Hamflit.
2: Too bloody much. Prospect, first of all, of the cold-blooded killer Shooter. <laughs> being part like being adjacent to the Blackpool Combat Club now in AEW law is absolutely exhilarating. Right. That like everybody wants that now and cannot wait for the moment. And it's gonna be so, so great. Um too busy by the end. Too like I would again like put this in as noble failure, because I didn't this was different to a lot of AEW's needlessly chaotic decision making of late, in that they were trying earnestly to Set up another cool match for Forbidden and Door. Because it is a cool match, right? Set up a cool match for Forbidden Door. Um, make the overlaps make sense, I guess. You've got Blood and Guts is the, is the destination, right? So, like, how do you make something that's clearly just on the road to Blood and Guts feel like it belongs on a pay-per-view? WB fail at like that all the time. You know, they've already told you this is the place we're going to. So why do the match-to-builder build match to build the match matches matter in the meantime? And they, I think that was their, like, noble attempt to make that match in the middle feel like it means something. Because mm-hmm. because it doesn't compare to Blood and Guts. It just doesn't. The opening few minutes of this was, like, it makes my fingers tingly everything I love about pro wrestling. Like, the the old adage about, like, how to put over an opponent before putting over the fact that you're going to beat them was like laid bare here by just two of the all-time greatest to do it and like Tanahashi was mostly on the receiving end of it but the prestige and the pedestal that John Moxley put him on before he basically threatened to kill him on a pay-per-view mm. was was like inch perfect the build the build that ex- has existed like that's been say John Moxley cutting a promo on New Japan um like folding that into him fighting all the New Japan dads on that run up to Tanahashi that never happened like, for him to be able to now actually speak that into existence rather than just be this thing that we speculated on was, like, so pleasing because they had done the work and just things didn't work out and timing didn't work out and it couldn't happen all out and that kind of thing. And I'm so pleased. Like, this is why, like, you do the work because then you can reward yourself for it and you can say, like, I had to fight this guy and I had to fight this guy, but it's it's you. I've got to fight you and I've got to beat you. And for John Moxley, a person that you have also put so many years of investment into, to be saying that about Tanahashi, is like... Just destroys, I mean absolutely obliterates, like an old game of asteroids where the rock breaks into a million pieces. Any idiot that tries to do the what's this saying punk music when it comes to talking about Tanahashi, who's this guy from New Japan? I don't know him. You know, it's like, well, the guy that you do know, if you actually watch and give a toss about any of this, has basically just put him over. Mm. Like he's the greatest guy of all time. Like there is no room for bad faith criticism. There is only room for just acknowledging what a fabulous piece of like match promotion this was. Before it got a bit busy and silly.
0: It's, yeah, it was so good initially that I genuinely forgot it was for the interim title. I was just like,
2: oh, I don't care. I just want to know who wins this. I don't care if the belt's on the line or not. Which is of kind of a bonus. Yeah. Because, like, they're not they're not making it explicitly how much you're supposed to care about the interim title. So the idea that you want the match to exist regardless is is a benefit. I was really pissed off
1: with this because the start was so good. Yeah. And then Tony Khan did his AEW <coughs> soup business. And I was thinking, why do this here... They did more or as much to build a fun, inessential undercard trios match than the main event of the show. It's the main event. Please treat it with reverence. It's Tanahashi. Treat him as a god. And the worst thing is, is that he did, and then he kind of didn't. Mm. And I just thought this was needlessly overcomplicated, and um, particularly since it's not as if it's like a, and um, they're not trying to tack on something else. They're trying to just deliver loads of new information to you. um, So much so that you're trying to think of, all right, okay, okay. He's trying to keep track of everything. When I just want to be sold, this match that I really want to see that doesn't really require selling, now they kind of have to sell it again. John Moxley was just absolutely incredible. He's kind of done this before, but he's so good he can take the mic with like continuity. Um, He initially said that he went to the G1 um, in 2019 to master Kenny Omega's domain because that way, it, if he had to go travel across oceans and put himself through the most grueling tournament imaginable just to work out how to wrestle Kenny Omega, how, did that, how much did that put Kenny Omega over? For God's sake, John Moxley's a genius. And now that he's done the G1, he can sort of meddle with his own law and say, right, well, I've been in New Japan... The entire ultimate purpose, actually, all along was a need <laughs> to prove myself against the great Hiroshi Tanahashi. You can do both those things, mm-hmm. and you can do everything because he's John Moxley. he was so great at the promo here that Hiroshi Tanahashi didn't need to see anything uh. because he just literally built him up as this living legend. Um Incredible stuff. Then as soon as Jericho's music hits, I just get really, really pissed off. Like, really, really pissed off. So I know why they're doing this. Having Judas and then Kazi Nina Re, consecutively it's going to be one of the coolest wrestling moments <laughs> of the year tony connor isn't stupid he's very very clever that's going to be awesome Who's was a Despy who's the yeah. third man in that team so that's cool but it's like oh here's lance archer who's not in the match but he's on loan <laughs> from suzuki gun and i'm partnering with their leader by the way to have a match against Eddie kingston and two people who are um tied to moxley who's tied against, it's just, fuck's sake. then you have this post-match I don't watch people getting beat up in these things anymore. I don't. I just watch a blur of things Mm. that exist to make something else happen. I'm sick of the post-match brawls. I'm so sick of them. So it didn't help that this also incorporated that. This was just an an exposition-filled, confusing mess that detracted from something that was awesome. Mm. And for that reason, I give it a down at whatculture.com slash (laughs) WWE. And you can read um, the words I've just said if you want.
0: Uh, we got a video package uh, with uh, black and white Darby Allen being pissed off of Red Dragon for injuring Sting. He said he's going to break Bobby Fisher's leg, and the match will go down on Rampage. We'll talk about that on the Rampage preview.
1: now, isn't he, Darby
0: tomorrow, uh, and Tony Storm uh, also was uh, asked about her feelings uh, regarding Britt Baker. She's facing her later on in the evening. She says Baker's a dentist; she studied, she knows things. I dropped out of school when I was fifteen, but even I know not to act like Baker has. I'll take this women's division to where it should be.
1: Can I put this over hugely? I know it wasn't a very important thing. Mm-hmm. But one, they actually built a women's match, didn't just go. Oh, here's the women. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, come back for the men. So they, they won't be out long, and it's only once. <laughs> they actually built a women's match, and Tony Storm's promo here wasn't world class, wasn't blow away great. Didn't have me standing and pacing in the living room. But if you compare this to Shiny Shiny, and virtually everything she did on the main roster, even though she didn't do very
0: much, it's Tony a, time, Tony, Tony time. time.
1: She got me Tony Two Pies because I can't see my face. I, c- I can't do Australian <laughs> it accents. Tony
0: the one that they were like, oh, mum loved m- music in yeah, the 80s? I was
1: talking to Tony Storm earlier today and her mum likes 80s music. <laughs> and then she was doing these ridiculous WWE comedy segments and she just got made a fool of, God bless her. AEW deserves immense credit for recognizing it's accentuate the positive side, the negative stuff. Don't put her out there with a the live mic yet. Mm-hmm. Honestly, she's worth the gamble now. Um, because they've been slowly rebuilding her confidence in the promo department by having her with an absolute professional like Tony Schiavone, who can not only just be in the segment and have the authoritative presence, but he can put people at ease. He knows exactly what he's doing. And Tony Storm's poise, fire, and focus in this segment here was great. She was absolutely unrecognizable from from the performer I've seen on the microphone before. She deserves credit. AEW deserves credit for the way they particularly set these things up. And I really, really enjoyed this and I was enormously happy for her.
0: Then we got the uh, All Atlantic Championship qualifier, Ethan Page versus Miro, to see who goes on to face Pack and potentially was is it, Ishii and Malachi Black was what we're yeah, of, we think of, isn't it? Yeah. Um Page baits him early on and tries to run away basically and then manages to take control with some leg kicks and targets Miro's left arm. And Miro comes back with a huge lariat and beats him down, sends him shoulder, shoulder first into the ring post to take us to a break. When we come back, Miro's just battering him over the ropes. Um, but Page counters by dropping his arm over the ropes and sending him into the steel steps. He hits a diving cutter to get a two count as he comes back into the ring. Um, he, Miro, that is, fires up Hits uh, several overhead throws and uh, hits the running leg kick. Page, early on, I forgot to mention this as well, had come off the top with a big shoulder tackle thing um, to get a two count and subsequently tweeted that clip with the words, very appropriately in Canadian, I'm sorry. Anyway, um, so he sets up, um, hits the running leg kick, sets up for his big finish. Uh, Dan Lambert, has come out with Ethan Page, jumps up on the apron, just, got, just gets immediately gotten rid of. Thrust kick. From Amiro onto Page, puts him in the game over, submission victory, straightforward stuff.
2: Yeah, I, don't, I didn't really like this. I, I don't know if it, I was a bit off by the length. It, like, the longer it went, the less I believed it because Miro should have just done it quicker. Um, it, was, it was both overthought and badly lacking in personality as far as a match between these two goes. There was, there was more in this than was needed and yet none of it particularly contributed to a vibe. Miro's a vibe. Like, he comes out there and there's, like... The closest
0: you got was when he did the whole praying pose thing, and Miro just got really pissed off. Yeah,
2: there's supposed to be, like, endless danger when Miro's around, and he's so good at containing that. He's this, like, ball of fury, so much so that, like, he's a babyface as a result, because it was just so infectious. Um, And it just got diluted and suppressed a little bit, and then we get to the finish, and it just... Like, it felt a little bit like a good Raw match. Like, a, a high-quality Raw match where we come away being, eh, fair play to the wrestlers, because the wrestlers is absolute nonsense, and they've gone out there and they've had, like, 10 nice minutes. And it's just, like, that's so out of place on a dynamite. I just, I wanted to feel more for this. This scraped it up for me on the sole basis of, uh, it
1: was a thrilling glimpse into Miro as a baby face, which mm. is always going to be amazing. And we got the first glimpse of it in the audience reaction, but they were in there too long. And, um... Tell you what, uh, other than the praying spot and like, don't do that, I'm going to break your hands, that was great. Yeah. As you mentioned um, astutely, that really did explore what was good theoretically on paper about this dynamic. Some of this was weak in terms of impact, in terms of the physicality, and that just takes me out of it all the time, especially when it's AEW and you're watching like those Harwood shops, some of the table wreckages in the main event. When you see stuff that looks a bit soft. <laughs> it kind of pisses me off. Mm. There were two shoulder barges that Ethan Page did where I was like, you've just grazed him. Mm. Don't bump for that, Miro. Don't demean (laughs) yourself.
0: There was a nice spot on the outside where I think Miro tackled him into the barricade after Ethan Page was like, I've got this match won, basically. yeah, he was was, like,
1: oh! It was uneven in terms of how much it really looked like it hurt. Mm. And like Miro's excellent, usually, at making it look like things hurt. But even he did a... Leg lariat, which just looked like it grazed him and then mm. bumping, and I'm just not buying it. But I like Miro as a baby face, as a vengeful baby face who can dish out a reckoning to a little dickhead like Dan Lambert. So there was enough just for me to enjoy conditionally if this version of Miro better than he is in the
0: future. Yeah, excited for it to see him in this four way uh, that they're going to have. And There's a couple of things I wanted to mention. Never have I felt more confident that someone jumping on the apron was going to have zero effect on the finish. (laughs) He jumps up and I was like, get rid of him. There you go, swat that (laughs) fly away. Right, okay, I'll finish this match. And uh, yeah, Miro's, I don't know what, he he just like waves his arms around like a giddy child. He's the only one who can make that look terrifying. Like if I jump... (laughs)
2: <laughs>
0: what are you doing dickhead uh, so looks like the great Antonio yes. except except it's good because it's a yeah. hero uh, we got a video promo from uh, Matt Seidel and Dante Martin Dante Martin is facing Moxley on Rampage so RIP to him um, he said he was sick and tired of being labelled potential and they showed all these amazing clips of him just defying gravity basically
1: showing his potential yeah
0: he showed his, <laughs> he said his new star was going to be born on Rampage and Sidal called him inhuman
1: yeah it's weird to coin the nickname when it's an inevitable
2: loss.
0: Yeah.
2: I don't, Yeah. I'd wait for that, personally. I don't know. I don't know how much I'm into close, but no cigar Dante Martin at this point. I don't know if it's maybe just because we've like been down the road quite a lot. Yeah, they've done it a lot. Uh,
0: Britt Baker versus Tony Storm now. Effectively, are number one contenders match this, um, especially considering what happened afterwards. Mm. Uh, Rebel does an early distraction after going back and forth. Uh, that allows Baker to attack Storm. Uh, Storm pulls Baker to the floor to fight back and hits a diving crossbody. Um, Rebel distracts the official and Jamie Hater grabs Storm as she hits the ropes. And uh, Thunder Rosa comes out and chases off Jamie Hater. Storm comes back, Tornado DDT, then hits another one out on the floor. Uh, I did like this spot, intentional or not, where Baker... Gets the glove from Rebel, goes to put it on, but gets German suplex. And I watched, not the German suplex, but the glove just fly (laughs) in the air while I saw this was going on. Um, Credit to Britt Baker. I've seen a lot of people talking about this on social media this morning. Um, Tony Storms hits her with a hip attack in the corner. And I don't know if you guys thought this as well. And I was like, oh, no. Oh, she's been not goofy. Like, the official's getting between them. He's getting closer. I'm anticipating in a split second he's going to throw up that dreaded X and... No, and Baker's just like rolling around, and oh, she's out of it. Psych, no, she's not. Roll up, gets a great two count on Tony Storm. I think it was Sean Ross. that tweeted something along the lines of he bought everything as well there. Anyway, Baker takes control, puts on the glove, but Storm has scouted this lock jaw. Uh, hits a German Storm Zero One Two Three. Post match, Thunder Rosa comes out again and uh, stares down. Tony Storm whilst holding the title. Really enjoyed this.
1: Oh, my God. This is the <laughs> moment, other than the main event, where I was like, oh, my God. The details here are luxurious. I am going to tell you, this Baker thing was even better than you think because if you're into your Observer Radio law over the past however many weeks, Brian Alvarez, every time he sees Baker, um, sorry, Tony Storm do the hip attack, he's adamant it's going to cause a concussion one day, right? He's adamant. So... Baker and Storm are actually riffing on that. Not in too cute an insider way where no. it's like you have to listen to Observer Live to get it because it's worked as just a simple ruse in a wrestling match mm-hmm. um, outside of that context. So you don't need to know the context, right? I didn't know the context. You did not listen yeah. to Observer Radio. Anyway. You did not need to know the context to get the spot. And here's how great it is. Even if you know the context, in the second you see Baker push her away and you know what's happening here, she then subsequently sells so well that you're thinking, oh, maybe they're not taking the piss out of Alvarez or like doing a little nod to something Mm. he suggested. Oh oh, no, she's actually here. Oh no, she's not. This was absolutely phenomenally performed by Mm. Brooke Baker. What I particularly liked about this match is that this is the direction they need to take all too often in the... Pulled it off before the first Linda Rosa match, the match with Statlander at All last year. But all too often, the layout matches or Baker um, comes up with a match idea that, quite frankly, she's not amazing at doing all the way. She doesn't need to be the great match wrestler ever. She can tell incredibly focused and creative stories that are short and don't try to be big work rate classics, and they are so much more effective. This was so focused. There was never that weird... F- flabby bit where they're getting lost, it was the the double DDT spot, where it's like, one DDT, and here's another one on the outside. <laughs> yeah. That was amazing. The The concussion ruse spot was amazing. And then you just got a nice bit of, don't do that, I'm going to hit you with three cool moves finish. Um, In ring, this was a triumph. The storytelling was class. It was never going to get five stars, not everything needs to. I was going on my gear watching the story. And then they did the NXT thing where it's like, that belt I held, I saw you holding my belt.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm
1: here to tell you that I plan on actually holding this belt, and you're not going to get the belt. You know what's so powerful about this? We didn't have to say a word.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's
1: basically Triple H got a massive hard-on for that 2011 segment with The Undertaker where it's like, we don't have to say a goddamn thing, dead man. We got <laughs> them in the palm of our hands. And then it's like, right, Leo Ruff, Leon Ruff, and... Uh, I'd know somebody else. Damien Priest. On. You don't you don't have to see anything. We got them in the, you don't have them in the palm of your hand. Well you do because of the NXT Faithful. And this is awesome. This is awesome. I got him. Oh. <laughs> I hate how this has become a thing now in AEW. I hate it. Because I hate NXT at the end.
2: <laughs> I don't have much to add on the quality of the match. i like this was the this was the total opposite of Paige and Miro in that respect. Like, it was all killer, no filler, and it was just so character-driven. The work was good. The work was good, right? And that's not a guarantee every week with a Britt Baker match, or truthfully, so far, a Tony Storm match. Like, that's not Mm -hmm. been maybe as much of a guarantee as we would have liked from either of these. But it was very good, and it was made better by the fact that it was just wrestled entirely in character. Mm. Like, from Britt Baker especially in this one. Like, she had that woman's title for such a long time that she has to perform credibly as an in-ring wrestler to have made valid all of her claims that she was going to be the best in this division, with or without the title, right? That glove spot that you highlighted, right, <laughs> was so particularly inspired because she's, its it, it basically denotes desperation. She's wanting to do her big gesture to show that not only is she the best wrestler that can, like, nail this finisher, but she wants to show off while doing it. And she's not been able to get it on, because she's in a race to get it done. She, and it's like, it's a real subtle way to say, actually, I'm kind of hurrying, I'm under the gun here, so I'm going to do it as quick as I can. And then the gloves flown off as a result. You know, it's not, if it was on, like, she's wrestled half a match with it on before when she's put it on. So it obviously wasn't on properly. And it's just, I love the fact that, like, Tony Storm has created in Britt Baker a sense of panic and a need to get this done. Not least with Jamie Hayter, the more dangerous and efficient of her running buddies. Neutralised. By Thunder Rosa and I just, yeah, like it chase Rebel off, not hater, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> so it's like I, I like that. I felt like the characters were woven so much more into this match than the this had like so much more personality than the first match yeah. as well. Um, yeah, like really, really enjoyed this. Anytime an AW needs this, like even more than WWE, but anytime a match disguises the lack of an actual division, the better. Mm. This made this look like a kind of uh, a fluid and flowing women's division. I've been banging the drum about dark and dark elevation lately. One of the reasons is because when the women's matches take place, it looks like there's this like division where a load of women are jockeying for position. Because you see different faces, you see people teaming up to try and get like higher up on the rankings. And it's like maybe there's a shot in line for me if I keep plugging away. And it fools you into thinking that there's like twenty or thirty women like desperate for an opportunity. There's not. This match made it look like there was. Yeah. And now they might get Sasha Banks. Oh, well, I mean, can you even? Uh, this is the thing, right? Is it just, just on that, like we might as well hear. Like, the women's division is categorically... I'm going to check for an update. Obvious hot take, not the same as the men's. You know when MJF mentioned the uh, the XWB guys and they're greeted with booze, and it's like you kind of just bring in, insert W mid-carder and put a title on them. Day one. <laughs> like, Soz Thunder Rosa, Soz Britt Baker, Soz, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Day one, if you are Sasha Banks, you bring her in, you put the belt on her, you shape the entire division around her.
0: Also check out David Bixenspans at Twitter for a variety of suggestions for what Sasha Banks' name could be in, and they're all pretty great. Yeah. Because obviously, you know, it's not going to be Sasha Banks, but it doesn't necessarily have to be so, a real
2: Mercedes KV. So, so
0: what, I think he called her Mercedes Banks or something. Mercedes that was, Banks, Mercedes the boss. Out? Yeah, right, the
2: boss was used. The blueprint, Mercedes. Like, it, it, she's, she's enormous. She's like, to be potentially about to let go of a, of a major star, like one of their absolute biggest. Mm. But because she's a woman, they don't see this as like a Brock Lesnar level deal.
0: And also as a friend of the show, well, friend of two thirds of the show's, uh, Matt Rains pointed out on Twitter, that's the second biggest news story to wake up to today. I don't know what else
2: is going on. I don't know
0: what you're saying. Uh,
1: well from, oh. Just checked with my sources, and there's no update on the Sasha <laughs> Banks story just yet. Oh,
0: thank you for that. Uh, but from one in the yet moment to another, uh, mainly for for myself, if I'm perfectly honest, very uh, biased here. But Stokely Hathaway is backstage. <laughs> he's putting over Jay Cargill and announces that on Friday, uh, not only is there going to be an open challenge, Whoa, open challenge, baby, uh, for the TBS Championship, he's going to be on commentary. Yeah. Yes. And in walks, one of uh, mine and Hamplett's favourites, uh, Willow Nightingale. And <laughs> Stokely goes, way, is this? <laughs> Oh, I take it you're just here to apply to be a part of the baddies? And she's like, "No, you've just said an open challenge. I'll be taking that up. Thank you very much." And he goes, "Oh," so she announces he accepts the challenge, and I think he got a name wrong, obviously you know, yeah. deliberately, because because Tony corrected. I can't remember exactly what he called there, but yeah, I really like this little silly segment.
2: It is, yeah, it's like this is how you, this is how you use Stokely in much the same way Smart Mark Sterling was but he's loads better at it for Jade Cargill. He's he's more credible than smart Mark Sterling, but you still have to that you'd be wasting his comedic skills if you didn't do a segment like this. Um Willow Nightingale versus Jade Cargill is such a fascinating prospect and it's like I had to tiptoe near Rampage spoilers this morning for like a certain Max Castor promo. I don't know what you were referencing, but anyway, I had to for the benefit for the benefit of the website. I had to write up what Max Caster had said, and I really, really desperately wanted to avoid any conversation, not just of the result, but of the discussion of the quality of the Willa Nightingale Jade Cargill because I will be watching with tremendous curiosity. She is such a unique threat to Cargill in that you know, realistically, she's not going to win. She's no. not. She's not going to end Jade Cargill's streak. She's not going to win the TBS title, but she offers a like she probably equals what Cargill would physically, albeit in a, like a different way. And I just think Jade Cargill's probably been lacking an opponent like her for a very long time, and uh, like it's they've presented yet again like a Jade Cargill streak match. I really want to watch, even though I feel like the results in no doubt. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this match. Yeah, really good stuff.
0: Uh, right, let's talk about the Hangman Page promo. He came out, uh, couldn't himself a dumbass because he said last week he challenged Kazuchika Okada for the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship. and didn't think about the fact that oh. He could lose to Jay White on Sunday, and that's exactly what happened. But he says the challenge still stands. Before he can get any further, though, Adam Cole interrupts and congratulates his good buddy, Jay White, on his victory. And he says, well, look, if anyone's going to be challenging for that championship at Forbidden Door, uh, it's, it's me. Look, Forbidden is all about the undisputed elite, all about Bullet Club and what have you, and he says... And not only that, but Switchblade himself is here tonight, and he signals behind him as if he's going to come down the ramp, but White sneaks into the ring, lays out Hangman Page, uh, and then cuts a the promo himself, calling himself the catalyst of professional wrestling and the IWGP World Heavyweight Champion. Uh, meanwhile, what's Page done? He's 2-0 and against Page. Page couldn't even beat Punk. He will not be defending that title against Page, but he also won't be defending against Adam Cole, whose facials were... Was- Brilliant, confused. Ah. <laughs> Even when you walked past him on the ramp, uh, he said he holds the prou- pa- He holds the prize. He holds the power, uh, and this title means the world. Now breathes with breathes with the switchblade. This is his era.
2: I'm a higher guy on Adam Cole, especially at the moment. I'm a higher guy on Adam Cole than, than Jay White than a lot of people. I think. Uh, I I didn't like this, and I don't. Page, it was cute, right? The Page was like, well, I guess I'm a dumbass, like calling my shot and they're not getting it. Like, that was, there was a certain charm to that. Yeah. Hangman Page is one of them characters that can get away with it, and AW is a promotion where you can get away with it. Um, but they have, like, they have told me the match. They have shown me the, told me and shown me the match that I want to see. And then hopefully this is just a tease, but it appears that I'm not getting it. And even if this is just a delaying tactic and it does just, just end up with Cole and Switchblade because, like, Cole's reaction of being like, eh, what? and that like, creates enough tension for them two to have a title match and in the meantime leaves Paige and Okada free from the fluff. And that's where we end up, and that's where we get there. I'm not enjoying the journey because I, I don't have a tremendous amount of faith in it. There is one combination of like a match between all of these people that I like, and it was shouted out loud last week, it's Hangman Page versus Kazuchika Ricardo. The title is neither here nor there, to be honest, in terms of how it fits into this. That's a, that's a pairing that I want. It's a pairing that feels right for Forbidden Door in the same way that we talk about ZSJ and Brian Moxley and Tanahashi, that's one of them ones where you, you put them two next to each other. That's what this paper exists for, right? The rest of it, uh, just well performed. But I just, they're not, it's back to my complaint pre double or nothing of not having the pairings and the feuds and the combinations that I particularly want. That's what's happening here, featuring a bunch of guys that I actually quite like. I would really like to hear from Ghetto
1: and Tony Khan. Who they think is qualified <laughs> to challenge for the IWGP World Heavyweight title. Because I'm at the minute getting quite a lot of thoughts from Adam Cole and Hangman Page and Jay White. And it's not up to you, realistically. It's mm. absolutely not up to you. So why waste my time telling me that it's up to you when you can't work it out between years? And it's, it's a bit of a mess. I give this an incredibly generous up because I'm still intrigued about what the match is. And I don't know if i trust them to deliver the one that I want. But I give it up... Premised entirely on Jay White saying no to Adam Cole. Because I'm thinking, all oh, right, this opens it up into something I don't know. All too often. or well, not all too often, because this is the way to do it. But we're talking in, in relation to the MGF shoot where it's like, everything happens in AWS to be, yes, drop the odd storyline. It's very episodic to a fault. You can tell where virtually everything's going. And sometimes there's a few weeks where it's like, well, I know what's going on. Go Let's get to the good bit. This feels like elusive. I've got no idea what's going on storytelling. How much of that is... They kind of don't know what to do either. And it's all a bit rubbish in some respects because the wrestlers are booking themselves, not in matches, but in matches they don't want to be in, thereby not really putting themselves and each other over. It's like, I'm not wrestling you. (laughs) Why would that match happen? No, I'm going to have that match. No one wants to see that match. Well, I don't want the match that you've just said is the alternative to the match that you've buried. And it's like, people are burying each other without the power to make the matches that they're saying, no one wants to see it. On some level, this is a totally convoluted mess, <laughs> but, but I liked the twist here, and I don't know where it's going, and because I still want to know where it's going, I'll give it a pass.
0: Yeah. Barely. I, I'm sort of reserving judgment on this because my brain for a split second went, Omega, when he said it's not you and it's mm. not Hangman Page. I think a lot of people did. A lot of
2: people went to Omega for that. So I'll just wait and I'd, see I've, where this like, goes. Is this going to be like a, a coin drop save of a beatdown and a tag? Page and Okada versus Jay White and Colin. Like the the tension is going to be like, <laughs> can the two sides coexist? But like where are, where are Adam Cole and Jay White Togetherwise, and like Page and Okada are both heroes. And I'm completely out of ideas, but I'm still <sighs> going
1: to be very interested next week. I'm going to be glued to the screen for this segment because I've got no idea yeah. at this point what it's going to be. It's the
0: go-home, isn't it? Home? Yeah. I tell you what you should do. Just have Jay White, Adam Cole, Hangman Page, Kazuchika Okada, and Kenny Omega have a five-way and have WWE book it because that's the only yeah. thing they're actually good at.
1: you're flying in, through a barricade. <laughs> <laughs> in another interesting wrinkle, they have said that, well, Adam Cole has said Okada's not even going to be there. And it's like, don't,
0: uh,
2: I'm,
1: yeah, sca- I'm scared of that. Yeah. I was like,
0: don't say that. Don't say <laughs> I that. I forgot about that bit. The,
1: if he wasn't going to be there, they wouldn't have mentioned his name.
0: Yeah.
2: Maybe Okada next week will come out and just sort it all out. Mm. <laughs> That's what I'm hoping. I think if you've got a ticket to next week's Dynamite, you got to be fancying the chances of seeing Okada yeah. live. Feels like it's the go-home, isn't it, next Wednesday? Yeah. Yeah. I, like He feels like this missing ingredient that ties up all these ends just by being there. Mm.
0: Uh, we got a run-through of what we got in on, on Rampage. Bobby Allen and Bobby Fish, John Moxley, Dante Martin, the, the TBS Championship match. Uh, Max Caster, who'd have called that? Uh, Fitch, you made <laughs> a good point in the office this morning.
1: In my opinion, Max Caster was never booked for Rampage at like 7 p.m. yesterday, United States time, one of the damn drones they air. <laughs> and I think they've realized, let's just get him on for the wrap. Let's get him booked for the wrap. We'll...
2: Um, delay. They're against say. Leon rough and Bear Country. That is the most elevation match ever, isn't it? Like the previous to like, yeah. They've basically said whatever was intended for that slot. This
1: is just wild, baseless speculation. But I think the cynical part of me thinks that whatever was going to be in the slot, I thought right, okay, just delay that a week. Who cares? It's Rampage. <laughs> Get Max Caster on this show.
0: Yeah, I agree. Uh, During the main event, because otherwise I don't mention it, I may forget, they did confirm uh, Osprey, Orange Casting for Forbidden Door and the AW Women's World title will be on the line, uh, Thunder Rosa versus Tony Storm. And then we got the uh, tag team title ladder match, uh, pitting the champs, uh, Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus, versus the Young Bucks. And I apologize in advance, because I'm probably going to miss your favorite spot from this, because it was just bonkers. I'm going to watch it again in the night because I've forgotten. Yeah. Uh, Luchasaurus takes down the books early on, double clothesline. They send him into a barricade. Uh, Jungle Boy takes out Matt with a tope suicider. Uh, Jungle Boy and Nick are trading escaleras. Uh, Jungle Boy takes out Nick with a Hurricane Rana. They're fighting around the ladders and what have you. Uh, but Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus, are using their teamwork, get the advantage. So the Young Bucks trip up Luchasaurus and isolate Jungle Boy. They try to suplex him out of the ring through a table, but Luchasaurus cuts him off, and that allows Jungle Boy to hurricane Ron and Matt off the apron through a table. Um, I saw a great, uh, I think it was either on Squared Circle or Twitter, um, that Aubrey had given a fan a bit of a table to take <laughs> home with him There's as a little present. That was nice. Um I was gonna say there's enough bits of table going around <laughs> after this match. Uh Nick counters a jungle boy attack into a power bomb through the table for him, hits Luchasaurus with a with a destroyer, kicks him onto a table and 450s him through that as well. When we go to that takes us to a break, everyone's just getting just smashed through tables left, right, and center. Uh, the Young Bucks are still, still in control when we come back. Luchasaurus hits those high kicks and slams Matt Jackson onto a ladder. Takes out both of them with a moonsault off the apron. Luchasaurus climbs, but Matt hops onto his back. So Jungle Boy just comes in. and Well, Luchasaurus just stands there, and Jungle Boy just comes in and hits him uh, with a ladder to knock him down. They're all climbing ladders. There's two ladders set up in the ring. They're battling at the top. Um, the uh, Young Bucks powerbomb him. Uh, Luchasaurus onto a ladder bridge. Uh, a reverse hurricane runner takes out Jungle Boy, uh, and Matt hits a diving elbow through uh, through a table on Luchasaurus to take him out of the match. Jungle Boy's fighting on his own, takes out both of them with uh, Germans. He climbs the ladder, um, but the Bucks recover and uh, BTE trigger on the ladders. Um, Jungle Boy reverses it, though, pushes the Book's ladder over. They fall, but then they stumble into Jungle Boy's ladder, and he falls and, you know, hangs himself on the top rope and what have you. Luchasaurus sets up a ladder in the center of the ring, climbs, but the Books send him to the outside and do the Dudley Boys spot. Just a map. There's a... During the break, if you watched, it was just the Young Books setting up about 20 in tables at ringside for this, and he just smashes through them all. And then... The books hit Jungle Boy with a BTE trigger. Climb the ladder, pull down the belts. Uh, Nick, I think it was, has bust his face wide open, and possibly even broken his nose. I'm not sure exactly when that happened, but yes, the Young Bucks are now the first ever two-time yeah. tag champs in AEW. But we're not over. I'm looking at the clock in the corner, going, still oh, something's going to happen. And after the match, Luchasaurus is just dead. Just been, just the dinosaurs been, you know, wiped off the face of the earth. Uh, but Jungle Boy, he's still, just still got enough about him. He's, oh, he's got it. But he's stumbling out of the ring. It's his birthday. His, his mom and his sister are there at ringside. And Christian Cage, like the good guy that he is, comes in. Kill on you. Puts his arm around him. Tries to help him out of the ring. Psych hits him with a kill switch in the middle of the ring. Uh, and then grabs some chairs, concertos him, drapes his jacket over him and stands tall to go off the air. And little bonus, you've probably seen this on social media already, afterwards, takes his jacket back, rolls to the outside. Again, there is Jungle Boy's <laughs> mother and sister on his birthday. And Christian Cage looks at him and says, uh, you raised a piece of shit Good night, everybody. <laughs> See you later. Class this. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely class.
1: And I was wrong. I was wrong on the preview. They... Ended it, the match, three minutes before showtime and this angle was allowed to resonate in Christian Cage yeah. was phenomenal. He genuinely felt and radiated the vibe of a man who had spent months in like, he's got so little time left to do what he needs to do and he thought so much of Jungle Boy that I'm going to dedicate my the rest of my career to mentoring this guy. <coughs> and lost, <laughs> stupid loser, I'm pissed off, I'm fucking furious. <clears throat> Great, Christian Cage is like low-key, I think my favorite wrestler of the year. He hasn't really done much in the ring. Yeah. But you know the match is gonna be incredible when it happens, and he's just—he's so funny, and he's so vicious. He's such an awesome, He's such a great heel. He's such a great heel. I can put him over now, but when I watch yeah. him, and pop popping, and I kind of hate him at the same time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's perfect. He's perfect. This match was awesome. This match was so good. There was the sort of—I don't care particularly because I'm not a big Hardy Boys guy—and that might be insensitive to say it now, but you know I've been saying it for the past three months, so I might as well be consistent. Yeah. But if there was any kind of England of a bit weird and a bit bittersweet, the march under the circumstances—they decided, in a way that took care of this problem and made sense of the context of the match. Let's do a plunder sprint match. Yeah. <laughs> a plunder sprint match for five minutes, and it's absolutely insane. It's absolutely exhilarating. You kind of know when the spots are coming, but it's so seamless in the way they've assembled the plunder, like ready-made, destructible environment, and they destroy it in such such a thrilling popcorn way. Then they subvert the things because the Young Bucks do this. and They are so good at it. So you see... Um, Jungle Boy, do the Flying Head scissors or Hurricane Rana through Matt through the table. Then, when you think he's going to do it again, no Powerbomb. Then it, then 450. I'm just like, this is absolutely, this is what well, you know. Like, you know, I'm on YouTube, right? This is uh, only, uh, only wrestling fans know where well, there's like a five minute highlight reel of a match and it's always Butt Rock. <laughs> and it's <laughs> always, always Butt Rock <laughs> Too bad, one wing an angel and it's, like, it's always Butt Rock, this felt like that Except without Butt Rock and it was like A live match Yeah. So not only is this thrilling, not only is it fantastic Not, uh, not only are you Captivated, but they're climbing All the time They are jumping on the ladders in really cool ways, but it's always... We're not just doing this to do cool stuff, but trying to win, win, win. Intent to win was throughout. But because it was such an adrenaline rush of just awesome wreckage for five minutes, what the Young Bucks do is they delay the effects of what they've done, so they accumulate selling, so then they slow it down. You're already locked in. Then they do the cool selling stuff that makes it feel real and stuff, and they get there in the end. And then they do the stunts again, and they're even more impressive because they know how to build these things. Uh, This is just structurally so goddamn impressive. It was insane. The the Young Bucks are the absolute best. Having the cake, eating it too. Oh, we didn't know it was that cake. It's actually this cake, and it's (laughs) it's an even tastier cake with their trademark twists. This was all magnificent. I love the Young Bucks so much. What's so funny as well. It's like they've communicated this in the fiction, and genuinely, it's like a business strategy where it's like, it's FTR's year this year. We want to have the best FTR year possible. The Young Bucks are going to like just do some stuff in the background and some cool stuff, but very long term. But this is the Young Bucks, uh, this is the FTR's year. It's like, is it because the last two weeks it's been the Young Bucks year <laughs> and they just can't help
2: themselves, would be class. Uh, going back to the FTR Young Bucks match, like AW titles, ring of honor titles, winner take all. Like, I'll have that as an all-out main event. I need like, it as a main event. You do especially if like if Punk's not fully fit and the interim title's on the card, that's the main event at the paper I when think. When is it right. what? Uh September, the day after Clash at the Castle. So oh, Punk might not be fully fit. <laughs> so if you've got an interim, if it's like if it's Moxley, you defend the battle against whomever, but it's the interim title, I think that's the perfect opportunity to do title for title, winner take all, decider, you know, the whole thing. Match of the year, probably. Yeah. The desperation, like the direction um that was obviously you know, I'm assuming curated by the wrestlers as much as the as anybody else that was agent in it because it's the Young Bucks and it's a ladder match and everything else. Um, to always, always be desperately trying to get the belts just elevated this for me into feeling like so much more epic in scale. Edge gets a lot of like grief these days for lots of very valid reasons, but a real underrated matchmaker when it came to those TLCs. Him and Matt Hardy and Bubba Ray Dudley were the ones credited with being able to put those TLCs together. Really, really you know, hard, complicated things to make it feel like the escalation. is so important, isn't it? Because, like, one, if you get that in the wrong order, not only are you doing a lot of damage to yourself, but you're also sort of ruining the vibe for the audience because the thing they've just seen is so much hotter and more dangerous than the last thing. It's like, oh, you've won the belts off that. That's the last feeling you want when you've just put yourself through so much hell and you've tried to tell the story of, like, we are going to kill each other to win these titles. And I just thought they absolutely nailed it. Um, I, like I don't have a lot to add. Siduric's take on the match because it was just, it was, it's the Young Bucks. So they have incredibly high expect. Like there was incredibly high expectations around a Young Bucks match. They surpass those expectations, and then as a fan, the spoiled fan thing kicks in. You're like, yep, thanks Young Bucks for being the Young Bucks. Thanks for setting the bar incredibly high and then still leaping over it exactly as I wanted you to do, mm. like see you next week to do the same again, there is an inordinate amount of pressure on the Young Bucks to just be the Young Bucks in matches like this, and the fact that they continue to do it and do it so well is like the sort of thing that they probably don't get enough praise for, this match was every bit as good as I knew it could be, and like what a high standard that was to achieve, I just, I honestly it was, it was the constant, if, if they were going to fail at one thing, it was going to be making this look like a quest to actually get the belts, and they didn't. They never, ever betrayed that. You see it too much in ladder matches now. You especially see it too much in ladder matches where wrestlers go in knowing that one of the big moments is going to be them flying off a ladder or through a table or whatever, and at no point. Um, like I don't think this was quite as... I wasn't as personally thrilled by this as much as I was Cody versus Sammy. but it was way, way, way up there. And again, it was because I just don't think they betrayed like the core tenets of all of this. You should still be able to... And it wasn't the first one, Brett. I love you, but you should still be able to trace everything back to Sean and Razor, like at WrestleMania 10, and you could in this one with Ladamat. Like you can absolutely move the genre forward, but what they got so right should still be visible in contemporary ones. Before we depart, um,
1: depart, <laughs> I tweeted this. The mega fans will forgive me. Interesting trivia note: Matt Jackson has lost a shoe or a boot in every AEW World Title match he's been involved in, in which there's been a change. So, Full Gear 2020, they'd had um, AW World Tag Team title matches before, but never where a title switch has yeah, happened, yeah. either they've lost or they've won. He, because his ankle has been damaged in the build, and they want to evoke the maximum sympathy from a small crowd, um, he has the genius idea to have Dax Harwood take the boot off him and just pulverize his ankle throughout. To underscore how much of a dickhead he's become in the heel role, they make the parallel to Full Gear 2020 at All Out 2021, where he takes a sneaker off. That's the hubris of man. He's forgotten exactly who he was and what he's struggled to do because he's lost his mind and he's become rich and he's become a heel arsehole. So he takes it off and he—it's like a thumbtacks on it—and then he gets his comeuppance because he's a heel and deep down he knows he should be a good guy because. That's what gets you titles, not what loses you titles. Here, it slips off in the ladder match. This one wasn't quite as good, um, but it made sense because someone was trying to get, yeah, his, yeah. get him down. So it's a nice little wrinkle. So in the fourth title match, they have, and then the fifth and the sixth and the seventh. I'm going to be looking at this, this guy's foot.
2: <laughs> waiting for the other shoe to drop.
1: I'm going to wait for the other shoe to drop. <laughs> like Seriously, like the storytelling here is just so rewarding on so many levels Someone, and I said this in the article. The mega fans will forgive me, please. And I might be, I might have to be the, I my, my bloody have to now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I do because I'll have to do it myself.
1: So we should come up with a different name for Spot because people are going to say, "Oh, so it's a Spot Fest." No, it wasn't. Yeah, it had some great spots in it, but it's got better storytelling than the matches
2: you think are good, but can't articulate why. Why is that? Because it's a goddamn hack. They're doing such a good job. The young bucks of this, like, slow burn. Babyface turned through the ring ring as well, like cheating progressively less. Like how much they're like. Toning down the kind of arseholes they want to be. This is like a like this this could have been them like showering in their own vanity, winning the titles. And it wasn't that, and nor was the match played or pitched like that at all. That's like that's legitimately impressive because they've worked very hard to be these kinds of arseholes. And that's what makes the cage match so endearing as well as fantastic, mm-hmm. like with with the Lucha brothers. Um but yeah, this was like them going, like reverting back to win the match, and then as like Sidhu points out, the validation of, hmm, this is actually Worked for us again. Like, let's be that again. Like, it's all been so earned as and when they eventually just, like, when they're proper heart and sleeve babyfaces again, it won't have felt like a, a fake journey back to that. Quick word on uh, Christian Cage's betrayal. Fantastic. I'm a I'm a Christian Cage lifer for moments like this. He is, he, He's a like we've said this before, like, he's as much for the locker room as he is for the fans. Like, he is that sometimes. And his matches, you can kind of, you can sleep on them a little bit. Or you can be like, I'm just not really in the mood for a Christian Cage wrestler's wrestler match because I want a bit more of exhilaration or a character I'm more into Whatever, But I'm a lifer for moments like this. I was a Christian guy more than an edge guy when they initially broke them up because he's so good in this role. You know, from the day he puts the glasses over the top of his hat and those silver ones that go over his hat and head and the little orange, it's like he's... He's the popper, so he's going to be able to infuse more character into all the things he does. And sure enough, this turn has occurred in WWE. It's occurred in TNA. It occurred in the It's Christian second run of his WWE life, you know, with Randy Orton, it would have been probably. And now here we are again. Like, that. Idea, like, as Cedric put it, like, put you know, putting work in this guy and he's a goddamn loser. It's also, because it's Christian, like 13, 40 months of nagging bitterness. He's a... Little, like, I'm not going to call him a straight lb because, like, Austin and Jay, I loved it, and I hated it, and I was falling out of love with wrestling. But, like, he's a really irritating little bitch, Christian, like, and he's, <laughs> he lets these things niggle at him. He's an ILB. He's a, a fucking rat, isn't he? Like, look at him, he knows that, and, like, that's the Vince McMahon blue dot bit that you work at. He's a little rat, and he's got that in him, and it's nagged at him for, like, a year and a bit that, that Jungle Boy threw him out of that Battle Royal. Oh. Get over it, you prick. I can't. I'm Christian Cage. I can't. Like, and he, he suits that so well.
0: Mm, absolutely. Well, let us know your thoughts on uh, on Dynamite on Twitter, at WhatCultureWWE. Well, I should say you can follow all three of us. You can follow Michael Hamlet at... Michael Hamlet. You can follow Michael Sidgwick at... M. Sidgwick. And if this, this is a relit the fire, as it has seemingly done for the rest of us, to to really get into AEW and, and maybe maybe read about more of it. Maybe read about it when you're on a honeymoon, like Mimi Burris, for example. Yes, thank you
1: very much for that.
0: Uh, you can pick up uh, Sidgwick's brilliant book, Becoming Holiday, the Rise of AEW on Amazon right now. It is an excellent read, and particularly if you've got any holidays coming up. Uh, just, just put that out there. <laughs> uh, right, you can follow me on Twitter, at Adam follow us all at WhatCultureWWE, uh, and make sure you subscribe to WhatCultureWWE, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts, including, of course, the Rampage Preview, which will be coming your way tomorrow. But for now, this has been the Dynamite Review. My thanks to the Dadly Boys. Thank you for joining us, and we will
2: see you soon